I managed to remember to turn the volume back up for tonight on the recording because last night I left it at piano volume and uh, I have to do some audio editing on that file to bring myself up a little bit. Uh, I apologize for not being able to speak much louder. If I, if I do, I start croaking and it starts becoming mumbled and marbled and all the rest. So I think you guys would care not to hear that. But tonight we're going to continue in Colossians. In uh, verse 14 we're going to cover tonight. So let's go ahead and read that. Colossians 3.14 And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come to you in that sweet hour of prayer that we just sang about, Lord, for the ability to be here tonight, Lord, for just being able to hear your word tonight. I pray that you would use me and fill me with your spirit, Lord, to uh, just teach this lesson tonight. And uh, Lord, just help us all grow closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're moving into another verse. I know, um, at least in the teacher's manual, they had broken out verse 13. Uh, verse 12 and 13, pretty well by each topic got broken out. So we spent a good amount of time there. But verse 14, um, in my mind, I think I, I mentioned it last time, that I, I think verse 14 strings all of those ideas together. Uh, how many of you have ever made popcorn? I think everybody, right? Has anybody ever taken a string and threaded each little piece of popcorn through the string? Brother Dennis, Sister Lynn, and did you put it on a Christmas tree? Okay, yeah, okay. So we have some commonality out there. Did a little bit of that as a kid. But you know, that's one of those things. This, this thread of charity is what we see stitching all of these items together that we just looked at in verses 12 and 13 through the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 uh, through a reiteration of this in Ephesians 4 through 1 Corinthians 13 all of these concepts in these various locations are touched together but the common thread that holds them all together is charity we might better know that word today as love so we'll be talking about that uh, passage tonight so Bullet item C, which I'm totally not following on the outline, is the best garment of all. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verses 1 and 2 last time, but really the focus is on verse 2. And we saw that it's the parallel passage to our, our verses here in 12, Colossians 3, 12 and 13. So Ephesians 4, 2. Oh, if you're keeping track of the... Uh, the bullet item here, the best garment of all, is bullet item C. I'm not even sure if I handed out those notes at all, but the best garment of all. So Ephesians 4.2, with all lowliness, and we compared that with humbleness of mind or lack of pride, basically, uh, that we find in Colossians 3.12, and meekness, which is power under restraint and self-control with long-suffering, being patient, willing to endure trials. Uh, I struggle with that. I don't know about anybody else. Kind of struggling with that right now. 
and uh, forbearing, forgiving one another in love and in charity. And so what I want to point out, again, like I touched on last time, is that we have uh, just God's word. If he's going to say something, he, he often will say it multiple times. Often, well, in the Old Testament would be across different authors, concepts, and the like. But here we see the Apostle Paul in multiple locations, in Ephesians and Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and other places throughout the New Testament just reiterating these concepts. So when you see one when you see something one time, okay, that's interesting. When you start seeing it repeated, that's when it's maybe we need to pay attention to these things and it's it's kind of an important idea here. So here in, in the verse that we're looking at tonight is uh, verse 14 we find Paul exhorting believers to above all other of these Christ-like qualities that we've looked at to put on, that we're to put on charity. And he says that charity is the bond of perfectness. Charity or love, and I'll use them interchangeably here, is the thread that runs through that binds all these things together, just like that, all those little popcorn pieces that you put together on a thread and you string them all together. You're not going to get stacked popcorn together and be able to hold it up like this compressing it together that's not going to work so well but to have that common thread that ties everything together um, will hold it together and I would say too that a similar analogy not really an analogy but the, the truth is that all of us here that know Jesus Christ are tied together with that same thread that same thread of Jesus Christ And, and these, these run through all those things there. So in Ephesians 4.3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here we see kind of a parallel passage to what we're looking at here in 14. This bond of perfectness that we see at the end of verse 14. So verse 14, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And in Ephesians 4.3, we see it referred to as the bond of peace. So charity being the thing that binds and unifies Christians together in one heart and mind, united together in Christ. That's, that's what this is. We have the love of God shown on us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, shown in us by his indwelling spirit, and shown outward to the world around us. And this, this love, this charity is what binds us all together. It's an amazing thing if you think about it. I mean, we, we all probably have some family out there that isn't saved. They are by blood our family, right? But you and I here, uh, other than our immediate, immediate family and my kids, uh, especially in this, I guess, in this room here, aren't related by blood. But we are closer to each other because of who lives within us. And that's the important part. So let's go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. I know Pastor was here last Sunday night um, looking at this in context with um, husbands love your wives and that, and that study that we're going through there. But I want to also think about too is what is charity? So we can go to Webster's 1828 Dictionary and get a couple ideas of what's there. It's a good place to go to try to get uh, information to find words in English um, that are used in our King James Bible. So definition one says, in a general sense, that ch 
charity is love, benevolence, goodwill, that disposition of heart which inclines men to think favorably of their fellow man and to do them good. And then in a theological sense, it includes the supreme love to God or a supreme love to God and universal goodwill to men. And I think in that sense, and um, the definition too says some similar things, but related to more familial relationships of fathers to son and, and to brothers and the rest of it like that. But I would say that this love, this um, goodwill, universal goodwill to men is first of all toward brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where this charity is first of all too. And I think is the context of what we're talking about here is that to each other we're to be forbearing of one another and in the context of Paul's writing to Christians to forgive one another and this is done through that interconnected thread of love, of charity, one toward another. That's not to say that love and charity should not be shown to the world. It is a good example to the world of who we serve, who is within us, and in, and, and a reason that it might draw, draw others to Christ and, and be an opportunity to share the gospel with others. So, but this isn't, this isn't a, what necessarily the world thinks of charity. Right, if you think today, think of the word charity. Out of a biblical context, what would you think? Just keep that idea in your mind. So further down on the definition list, charity is described as giving alms, gifts, and relief to the poor. That's pretty much what the summary of the rest of the, the definitions mean. This meaning of charity has become the focus of the world in, the, in modern times now. If you think of charity, we'll give to charity as a common phrase, right? Uh, many might count their donations to charity as being tax write-offs, which is not the true spirit of charity, right? I've heard of a lot of people like, oh, I need, I need to have some sort of tax write-off. I'm either going to uh, go buy an ATV. I've, I've heard this story from a brother-in-law. He, he would say, farmers would come in, I gotta have another tax write-off for my business, so I'm gonna start buying ATVs or whatever else. Uh, or I'm going to donate to such and such a charity in order to get the tax write-off. I need some sort of benefit there, but what's your motivation out of that is the question. Are you giving to that charity out of a, a concern, heart for doing goodwill to men? Is that your motivation? Or is it motivation to get a little bit less going to Uncle Sam and a reduction in your taxes? So a right-focused charity does not look for self-benefit. It's not trying to figure out what can I get for this, um, but what what am I giving without expectation of anything in return? Uh, I would argue too that you know we have we have great tax benefit and that we're able to write off mortgage mortgage deductions, um, property taxes, charitable giving ourselves uh, because we're incorporated as a 501c3 we can write off our tithe and our missions donations. Anything we give to the church here can be written off. But you know the test will come when the trial comes, that when that gets revoked, how many people are going to recoil back from giving to church? And that should not, that should not be your motivation is how much can I write off of my taxes in what I give to God? So that'll be a test could be coming soon. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, we'll look at the first three verses here. 
Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Verse 2, and though I have gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, right, this is what our uh, modern society thinks of, charity, I'm going to give to the poor, to a soup kitchen, to such and such mission, donating clothes, whatever, whatever else it might be. The world thinks this is charity, but it's really a subset of charity. It is a part of charity, giving to poor, giving alms to the poor. It is a good work. It is kindness to fellow men, but it is not the focus. It's a misplaced and misguided understanding of what charity is. It's not fully what charity is. And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So question 14 in your books, considering... Uh, considering these first three verses, what would Paul have been without charity or love? So think about the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul. What would have Saul, the unsaved man, have been like? without charity and love. First of all, that, that, that complete charity and, and love outworking is because the Holy Spirit lives within you. So without that, you got nothing, right? Nothing at all. You know, Paul would have been, Paul was a, an amazingly smart man, well-educated in scriptures, a Pharisee, um, a high person who was, who was set to, to be somebody in that society. It's interesting, I'm reading a, a biography right now uh, of a man who was a fighter pilot and he's a cantankerous man, uh, quite vulgar at times, but he had an interesting philosophy in, in, in um, doing things. And maybe we could relate this to the Apostle Paul, the choice that he had, whether to follow Christ. Being confronted on a Damascus road, he had a choice, right? This isn't something that he's being uh, irresistibly drawn to God through this experience magnificent as it is he still had a choice whether to to follow Christ or not this man in his biography kept referring to a bunch of people that he had mentored throughout his career and even after he had left the Air Force and became a, a consultant you have a choice to be someone or to do something and in this case, Paul had a choice to be somebody, to be a somebody in the, in the Jewish culture, or to do something for Christ and for God. And Paul, I think, in that sense, uh, chose the right thing. In any, in, in, in any sense, he chose the correct, the correct decision there is to follow Christ. But to choose to be somebody, choose self, or choose Christ, and do something for him, is the choice that I think every person in this world has. We can be somebody in this world's eyes, or we can do something for Christ. So that wasn't in here. That was, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Paul had a choice. He could have been just somebody who is who's power hungry on a trip to do whatever else he wanted to do for himself, for his own self, and that wouldn't have lasted. 
But what we have here is God used him to write a, a majority portion of the New Testament that we can look to now and uh, study and grow and grow closer to God by this. And that's, Paul chose to do something for Christ. So with these first three verses in 1 Corinthians 13, I think they can be summarized with the following statement. You know, action really is empty if there's no charity or love to back it up. You can flip a $20 bill out the window to the guy holding the sign on the corner of the street, but that's not really, that's just an action motivated by what? Motivated by self. An action like this loses its power. It doesn't have it doesn't have anything behind it. it. It's not lasting. There's no love motivating that action. No lasting love. No charity that motivates that. But also, I think we can say, well, in in response to this, action is empty if there's no charity or love to back it up. So Paul is putting here putting forward here. If I do all these great things, I speak with tongues of men and angels. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mission. Uh, mysteries and knowledge if I could remove mountains but I have not charity then it's nothing so I, if I do all this stuff these actions but it's not motivated by charity not motivated by love what worth is it it's not really of worth or value at all and then action is empty if there is no charity or love to back it up I think we can also say that charity and love is empty if there's no action to back it up so you can say you love somebody. You can say that you're doing all these good things, but words are cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. The actions that you do motivated by love are those, those two things going together has power. But without it, charity and love loses its power. So genuine charity and love will be others-focused and not self-focused. It's interesting, when I was a kid, I was part of the Boy Scouts, and, and uh, I find it immensely sad that I, I don't feel comfortable or led to have my children involved in Boy Scouts. And that was a, a major part of my adolescence. Um, it's sad what they've become. But the Boy Scout Oath, I sat down, and I'm like, oh, what's a Boy Scout Oath? And I'm like rattling it through my head. It's one of the things you have to memorize. I believe it's at least for Tenderfoot, if not the initial scout rank. Um, but this scout oath speaks of honor and duty to God, country, and self. It's the Boy Scout oath, the three principles of it. So from our recent Sunday evening studies on husbands, uh, love your wives, we might consider the order of charity of love as being first to God, right? This was stated last time. Then to others, with your wife being, your spouse being the your first other. And then finally to yourself, right? You're down the tree in this hierarchy here of who, who should have your love. Should be dedicated and directed toward God first for what he has done for you. First, he's created you. He's given you life, physical life, and gives you life again, anew, in Christ. And to that we owe uh, an un unending debt of gratitude for, being able to praise him for that, for all eternity, is what we'll all be doing. 
So in 1 Corinthians 13 continues too, and again, this is personifying the characteristics of charity as Paul writes it out. Verse 4, charity suffereth long, and this would compare with long suffering in the other passages here. I find it interesting when I was reading through this again, it's not, it's not new or not lost on me, this passage and how it's distorted greatly. And I'll tell a story that I'm not necessarily uh, proud of. But when Stephanie and I got married, this was one of the passages of scripture that was read during our wedding. Now, we both were unsaved at the time. I had some notion of church, knew all the Bible stories and all the rest here. But this passage was taken, I don't know, completely in context. I'm certain it wasn't taken completely in context in a, in a wedding ceremony like that. Um, it's not speaking of that. But charity suffereth long, is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. These are related to long-suffering kindness and humility. You know, love in its purest form, charity in its purest form, doesn't seek to get something for it. It's not saying, look at me. Ultimately, it's saying, look at Christ, look at what he's done. Doesn't behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. It's others focused. It's not focused on me. Is not easily provoked. Meekness. Think no, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, forbearing one another. Believeth all things, faith in God's promises. Hope all things, endure all things, forgiving others. Charity never faileth. Charity is that thread that walks its way through each of these uh, Christ-like characteristics that we should see, be seeking to emulate in our lives. But charity never faileth means that it will never fall away, be without effect, or cease to exist. So this is to consider its eternal existence. Right? Charity is an eternal principle. Love is an, etern an eternal principle because of who created it, because who it embodies uh, completely. Paul continue, continues in verse 8 to highlight things that will vanish, those being prophecies, tongues, knowledge, but charity is not found among them. So we can grow cold in our love toward others, our charity toward others, right? Charity is a principle that exists whether we choose to exercise it or not. And we can grow cold in our charity toward others if we're not yielded to the Spirit of God. And in the human sense, charity can be diminished, but it's an eternal sense it cannot fail. Eternally, charity can never fail. And in verse 13, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These things, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So in the, in the present age that we live in now, faith, hope, and charity all exist. But Paul calls out charity as being the greatest from this list. And the question is now why? Why did Paul single out charity? That's because one day faith and hope will no longer be necessary. Can you think about that? You'll no longer have to have faith that the sun will rise tomorrow or that 
any of these other things will happen. Hope will no longer be necessary because hope will appear. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So right now, none of us here have seen Jesus Christ. There are some that are mysterious in their allusions to having seen Christ, calling themselves apostles of God. They have a a little gathering over in Salt Lake City, a little white temple with a little gold statue that that fell off during an earthquake recently. Um, But none of us here have seen Jesus Christ, and neither have they. But one day we will. We will see him to our great joy. Many in the world will see him to their great horror. See, Christ is all love. God is all love, but he is also just in his, in, his, uh, in his person. So while he loves the entire world, desires that all be saved, he doesn't make us. That's a choice that he gives to us. He says, here is my son. He's lived that perfect life that you can't. He has died on the cross and shed his blood. He has risen again to pay for the sin of the whole world. It's already paid whether you accept it or not. And all he asks us to do is believe, to exercise that faith in this life right now for forgiveness of sin. And hope in his coming, just as he said he would, right? This hope is not a a hope that we, well, I hope things go better for me tomorrow or I hope I don't know insert your own thing on in fill in the blank time it is a, a hope that we know is coming and is certain I mentioned the sun rising tomorrow the hope of Jesus Christ's return is more certain Amen. than that sun rising tomorrow and Titus 2.13 looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Right? We're looking forward to that hope. He's coming. A friend of mine had said, Jesus Christ is coming, and boy is he mad at this world for what it's done. But that's not a necessary thing. In his righteousness he's angry with sin. But in his love he is merciful to those who will call out to him. So all believers will see Christ face to face and will realize all of his promises that he's made to believers. But charity and love will never cease. So faith will pass away. There will be no reason for faith anymore. We will see him as he is. We'll be together. We'll be with him. We'll express our love to God and for one another forever. Our charity toward others forever. That's something that's going to endure forever. And I alluded to already that God is love that we see in 1 John 4, 16. God, eternally, God is love without dissimulation. There is no hiding of this love. There's not some love for one group of people and and a different kind of love for another kind of people. Um, 
God is consistent with his love toward man. He desires all to be saved and has made that way that if the individual person would acknowledge their sin to him and call out for forgiveness, that's all it takes. One day that faith then will pass away, that hope will pass away, but the love of God will continue. Now that's going to be a wonderful day. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening you've given to us, Lord, to be able to just open up your word here, to look into your love, just just to even just dip our toe in the depths of your love uh, toward man, toward us, toward your redeemed, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation you've given at great cost to you, freely available to us. And thank you, Lord, help us not to ever take it for granted. Help us to with the help of your spirit, allowing him to work through us to love each other and draw closer to each other in these days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.